0: You know, for the Christ follower, there always exists this tension and this temptation to drift away from a mentality of dependence upon the grace of God and to drift into this concept of a works-based righteousness. And what I mean when I say that is that we can easily slip into a feeling of assurance or comfort in what we have done in the name of Jesus or things that we feel that we have done that contribute to our standing uh, in right standing with God and maybe even not just the things we have done but maybe we would even credit ourselves being righteous by the things that we haven't done. We can always slip into this. It's a temptation that we constantly battle because it's very easy for us to start depending in ourselves, very easy for us to begin to think, you know what? Compared to all the rest of these jokers, I'm not so bad, you know. You know what? Compared to everyone else in the office, I'm the only Christian here. You know, uh, you can. The only, I'm the only Christian in my family. I'm doing pretty good, and we can slip into this. And there's always this temptation to slide over into this dependence on what I have done or what I haven't done, and it's almost like we're we're keeping score. And we're looking at what everyone else is doing or not doing. I know that no one does this like if you're married at home with your spouse. You definitely don't keep track of what you've done versus what they've done. And you never bring it up, do you? It's good because if you did, man, that could cause all kinds of problems, right? Good thing we're all smart enough to not do that. Hmm. We all have this temptation that constantly exists to keep score, to keep track of what we've done what we haven't done. And and the temptation is, is to find hope, rest, peace, or assurance in those things. And that's the challenge that we face. But the root of that drift ultimately is pride. That's the root of that drift. That's why we do that. You see, how can we stay grounded? How can we avoid when we begin to drift or when we begin to be tempted, how can we avoid giving in to that temptation? You see, the Apostle Paul was dealing with this same kind of drift in his day. He was frustrated with the churches of Galatia because he wrote the letter of Galatians that we have. It goes all the way back to a conversation from Acts chapter 15, where the church was divided over this idea of Jewish Christians... ...and Gentile or non-Jewish Christians. There were many Jewish Christians who were undermining the gospel... ...that they were teaching the gospel of Jesus, the gospel Paul had taught... ...but then they were adding things to it and demanding these extra auxiliary requirements... ...that in addition to Jesus, one must also become a practitioner of Judaism... ...in order for one to truly be saved... And so here's Paul teaching that you are justified by this grace that's given and that all that's required of you is to put faith in the finished work of what Jesus has done. And then you have these Jewish people who are going, no, 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 no. Yes to Paul's message plus another guy. Like plus all these other things. Plus all of these additional requirements. And basically they were demanding... A few things like circumcision, they were demanding um, eat a kosher diet, follow certain aspects of uh, the, the interpretations of the Torah, and all these religious rituals. So, in, in in other words, you had to ceremonially, in addition to putting your faith in Jesus, you had to ceremonially become a Jew, even though maybe you weren't Jewish by your bloodline and your heritage, but you would, from a religious standpoint, adopt the principles. And follow Judaism in addition to Jesus. And these false teachers were called Judaizers. Here's what they were ultimately trying to do. They were trying to find favor to be able to please the Jewish authorities. They were trying to convert these Gentile Christians to Judaism through their openness to Jesus. So they weren't really trying to point the hearts of these people to Jesus. They were really thinking, oh, these people are open to our religion through the Jew the Jewish man, Jesus. And so they used their openness to really ultimately convert them to Judaism because their win was going to the Jewish religious leaders and say, look, we've got all these Gentiles who are now following the Torah. And we use this Jesus guy to help get them there. We use Jesus as like this bridge to help get them to where we ultimately wanted them to go. Aren't we doing good? And so another thing that existed in that day with the jewish religious leaders is that man they would actually persecute people and they would ostracize people from certain communities if they did not follow their religious practices you usually even see that in the life of jesus that when uh, there was criticism, if you'll remember, around the disciples not washing their hands properly before they ate, like those types of criticisms and persecutions and saying, hey, you guys can't be around us or you're unclean because you don't do X, Y, and Z. And so they would push these people away and they would name them unclean or they would say they're impure and all of these other things. And so people wanted to be in. People wanted to be a part. And so what the Judaizers would do To these now Gentile believers in Galatia specifically is that they would tell them, hey, all the religious Jews are going to be cool with you if you just do these things. So do these things and not only are you going to truly be saved and know that you're chosen by God in right standing with God, that now God approves of you, but all these other people are going to welcome you in to their community as well. And so it sounded really nice, but it was heresy because it diverted the attention away from Jesus and it diverted the heart onto what I could accomplish and what I could do in order to earn and gain right standing and favor in front of God and man. And that was how it was touted and and, and sold. And Paul was losing his mind over the fact that the Galatians that he went and had spent so many years with them Planting churches, establishing churches, raising up and training leaders, sending out those leaders, being able to constantly have people come to faith through hearing the gospel and responding to the gospel. He's just so upset now that they're actually buying into this garbage. After having found the beautiful grace that was so freely offered, he doesn't understand why would they drift so easily and want to turn back to something that was close but wasn't quite the true gospel. And so let's go over to Galatians chapter 1. We're going to go through this entire book in this series, verse by verse. And this is a different opening than a typical Paul opening. Paul normally is opening super gracious, super kind... He, 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 he's, he's, oh, my heart longs to be with you, all these great things. This is a very harsh, toned, opened letter. And you're going to understand why with this context here. Let's read these first few verses. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men, not through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me like, whoa, hang on. (laughs) Like he immediately leads out with talking about his credentials given from Jesus Christ. He immediately leads out by telling them, I'm speaking as someone who is under the authority of Jesus Christ as an apostle. He lets them know right out of the gate, Paul, an apostle, not from men. And so he's automatically defending this idea that somehow Paul was being made an apostle through something man had done to elevate him or through the popularity perhaps that he had gained or through different things that he had relationships or networks. He he diffuses that immediately. And he says, this is not a position man put me in. And so the things I'm going to write to you, the things that I'm saying to you are not from a position that men put me in. No, this is from my seat of authority as an apostle That Jesus Christ himself made me through Jesus Christ through God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself For our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom the glory forever and ever Amen he immediately begins to make Jesus the focus throughout this whole thing. He immediately begins to talk about where true grace and peace comes from. He immediately is trying to set the tone for the message that he's going to unpack because he knows that he has to deal with this issue of these Judaizers and all this heretical teaching. Verse 6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. In the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel not that there is another one but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you let him be accursed as we have said before so now I say again if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive. Let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And you see, Paul is leaning into this real heavy. He's saying, these other guys out here, they're just seeking the approval of man. They're looking for the religious leaders of their day to pat them on the back and welcome them in, maybe even give them a promotion. Look at all the Jewish converts that I've made in Galatia. They're open to Judaism, and Jesus has made them open to Judaism, and now let's go in there and let's make a bunch of converts to Judaism. Look at how well we're doing here. Even the message they're preaching is one of acceptance by man, by somehow offering this alternative addition to this message of the gospel, taking advantage of the fact that these people are open to spiritual conversations and that they're open to this and now they're capitalizing on this by taking a message from its pure form and distorting it in a way where they're able to sneak in their agenda. Doesn't sound like anything we deal with in our day, does it? You know, it's, It sounds very familiar, taking the message of love and hope and distorting it to be able to fit your agenda in it. You see, instead of saying, no, I want Jesus in his purest form, I want to know the gospel in its purest form because I want to know the the truth, not this distortion of the truth or using the ideas and concepts of Jesus in order to push my agenda. You see, this is exactly what was happening in this church and in the churches throughout this region and this is very uncharacteristic of paul's other writings because he opens up by rattling off his credentials and paul doesn't normally do that as a matter of fact we can read paul later on in his ministry where he actually talks about his credentials according to man and he says all my credentials mean nothing All that matters is the gospel, and all that matters is me serving Jesus and Christ crucified. But here he opens up with his credentials, but not his earthly credentials, but the credentials that were given to him by Jesus Christ himself. Because he wants them to know, "I'm, I'm coming to you from a position of authority. This is not suggestive. This is not something that maybe I want you guys to think about today. He's saying, I'm coming to you as someone who is in the seat with apostolic authority speaking to you on behalf of God with giving you clear direction on what you are doing and what you are to do and what you are not to do. And so you can understand how to keep this gospel pure. And he even throws himself in there. He says, if I come to you with a different version and I say, oh, hey, guys, I got a different version now. I got a revelation, right? Ooh, everybody leans in when you say spiritual words like revelation. I'm like, ooh, I, I've, I've got a new word from the Lord. He showed me that in the Bible that it used to mean this, but now it means this. He said, if I come to you and I do that, he said, let me be accursed. Paul says, even me, even if we come, he said, if an angel comes to you, Men, if an angel appears to you and starts unpacking some other way to be right in the eyes of God, if, some, if an angel comes and says, you know what, Jesus is great, but you also need these other things, even if an, a supernatural being appears to you and unpacks that, let that angel be accursed. Don't follow, it's garbage. Because what we've already told you, what we've already led you in and led you through and discipled you in and established churches on the foundation of, nothing should stray from that. That's the solid rock that should not move with all the shifting sand going around. No, no, no. This is, this is the foundation. It's the same idea of what Jesus, when they were at, the, uh, at Caesarea Philippi, when all of a sudden Peter has the revelation that Jesus is the Christ right cuz you know like well, who do men say i am well, some say you're elijah some say you're moses or maybe one of the prophets and then Jesus asks the question he looks at him and he says who do you say that i am and what does peter say he says you're the christ and then what does jesus say in response he says flesh and blood did not reveal this to you my father in heaven showed you this and he tells him he said and on this foundation I'm going to build my church in the gates of Hades and not be able to stand against it, right? This is what he tells him. You see, upon the revelation that was given to Peter, this revelation that Jesus is indeed the Son of God, the Messiah, the promised one, this is the foundation of the church, amen? Amen. This is the foundation. And Paul is saying that foundation that we laid, that we labored with you for years, man, it hasn't changed. And it's not going to change even if we come to you and we try to convince you otherwise. That's a powerful statement. He's letting them know that he's writing as someone who's been given authority. And he's telling them that any distortion of the gospel is not gospel. Understand this, church. Get this in your heart. Because there are so many voices out there. And let me tell you something, there's a lot of people that sound really, really smart. There's a lot of people who want to unpack a lot of different ideas. Everybody can have a platform now in our day and age. You see, it's, it, it's very volatile because anyone can have a blog or a YouTube channel or whatever, and they can gain a following by unpacking certain ideas, and they can attach Various theories and ideas and all these different interpretations and they can string together something that makes you go, yeah, you know what? I never thought about it that way. And that's exactly what was happening in Galatia. People who heard the gospel, who were being discipled as followers of Jesus, all of a sudden these Judaizers come and they go, hey guys, we love Jesus. Woo, yeah, Jesus, team Jesus. But did you know that also this idea of Jesus is rooted in all this history and you know it would really honor and please God and put you in right standing with him if you also begin to follow these pieces as well and Jesus can help you follow all these other pieces and you need all this and Jesus so we want to help you really get there oh man never thought about it that way (laughs) and that's exactly what was going on I mean these weren't goofballs these were educated intellectual people they knew what they were doing have you ever had the uh, mormons knock on your door have you ever let them in i have actually no let me back up that's not true (coughs) my wife set an appointment up and i didn't know about it (coughs) i come home one day and um this is when we lived in texas i'll never forget uh i come home one day and holly said oh hey Derek." Uh, In an hour, we've got some guests coming over. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Who's coming over? Oh, a couple of guys. (laughs) What are you doing meeting a couple of guys and invite them over the house? What's up with that? Oh, they were out riding their bikes, you know. (laughs) Invite them over the house. I was like, what? Oh, yeah, I invited the Mormons over. You did what? You invited them over the house? And then they come in and, you know, they're all like, hi, my name's Elder so-and-so, and they're real nice. And the first thing they do When we sit down to have a conversation is they want to tell me how much alike what we believe is that's the first thing they want to do the first thing they want to unpack is this is how similar we are if you sit down and you talk to someone um, who is muslim who uh, follows the teaching uh, in islam uh, one of the first things they're going to do is sit down with you and tell you how similar that we are it's the same tactic of the judaizers they're going to sit down with you and they're going to tell you how similar that we are. But there's always a point of differentiation because it was similar, 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 a little different, a little different, a little different, a little different, but they have got you in at this point. And then now all of a sudden you're open to hearing something different. And this is the tactic of the Judaizers, is because they wanted you to drift. And it's this drifting of going, huh, well, that kind of makes sense. I never heard that before. We began to drift because of our pride. You see, the simplicity of the gospel is hard for us to get sometimes. Because we go, can it really be that simple? Because if it's that simple, then, I mean, that's really, really easy. And all of these other religions that have all these additional rules and requirements, man, that can look attractive sometimes. Because all of a sudden, you kind of go, well, I kind of already do that. That doesn't sound too hard. And you kind of begin to buy into it. Because your flesh is enticed by this idea of somehow having a hand in this idea of your salvation. I love what Jonathan Edwards said. I quote it often. He said that you contributed nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. And it's true. It's true because you see, Jesus didn't need your help or my help, right? Right? Christ by himself, Christ alone. We just sang it earlier. Christ alone is the cornerstone, not Christ plus all of these other things. Not Christ plus my best efforts. Not Christ plus all the things that I want to to feel obligated to have to do in order to somehow make God like me or love me. No, just as I am. And I have to trust in what he's done and that he truly is enough. Over in Ephesians, this is the key verse. Oh, we were doing Galatians. Yeah, we can read other Bible verses. It's okay. (laughs) Calm down. It's okay. It's okay. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. Paul, the same guy who wrote to the churches in Galatia. This is another letter to the churches in Ephesus by Paul. He says this, verse 8, chapter 2. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not... You see, he's prepared the good works for us beforehand to walk in. It's something he has done in us. And so the good works we do, we do them because he's created us to do them. And it's something that comes from our position of being justified by faith and being made alive in Christ, not something we try to do to earn that position. You see, I love what Paul says Ephesians 2, man. He says that, basically even the faith you have to believe is a gift from God. Like even the faith that you believed in because some of us could say oh well I had the faith to believe. Yeah God even gave you that gift too. So even the faith you had to believe is not something you could lean back and go man I had enough faith to believe in Jesus. Well God gave that to you because he's given each man this measure of faith and I believe that measure of faith is that ability to be able to come to salvation because he doesn't want any one of us to perish he wants us to come into this realization of the life that we can have now and the life we're called to have everlasting amen church and that is a gift it's not something i can earn it's not something i deserve even the faith that is required for salvation is a gift so we can't sit around even boast about how much faith that we have it's so easy to drift over into works. It's so easy to just slide over into this. I remember the way that I was brought up in um, the type of teaching was very highly uh, just uh, condemning because it required you to have to try to be this perfect person to get everything from God. Because if you were dealing with sickness, if you were dealing with some sort of financial lack If you were dealing with problems in your marriage, if you were dealing with issues relationally, if you were dealing with issues financially, whatever the case may be, it would always go back to the fact that you just didn't have enough faith. And it was highly, highly condemning because I always felt like I didn't measure up to something. And it's the same concept. It's this works 2.0. It's just a different way to look at works because now I think, well, i got to have more faith. And they would teach things like I had to have my confession right because they would take scriptures out of context and they would begin to say, well, I need to have my confession right so that I'm saying the right thing so that the right things happen in my life. And so I would try to say all the scriptures just right. And I remember some people that love Jesus, man. I mean, really love Jesus. I, I don't doubt their love for God. But at the same time, I remember not feeling well. And I would say things around those well-meaning people. Like, oh man, I'm just I'm sick right now. Oh, you're gonna lose your healing, brother. You're gonna lose your healing. You just lost it because you have a negative confession. That's garbage. Amen to that. That is garbage. It's works 2.0 because it's saying somehow that I need to like psych myself up enough. Do it! Do it! You know? I just gotta psych myself up. Do it, just get enough faith. And then I felt like, well, maybe I'm not reading the Bible enough. Maybe that's, maybe I gotta read the Bible more. So I just read the Bible. And I'm like, oh, I feel so sick. <laughs> I'll just try to read the Bible more. Maybe the Bible will just make me feel better. <laughs> <It's> just Jesus, <geez. laughs> just something, you know, like God, do something here. And, and, and I would try to read the Bible more. And then they also taught that maybe it's some unconfessed secret sin in your life. Maybe that's why you're not getting the thing from God that you felt like you were supposed to get. And so I would just go, God, and I pray this prayer all the time. God, forgive me for even the stuff I don't know I did. Like, I, I mean, I mean, I, maybe there's some stuff I've, maybe there's some stuff that I did that, I, I just didn't know about. And man, I, I mean, I, I'm, and so I'm, I'm living in all this condemnation. I'm living in all of this sin consciousness. And I'm totally aware of my, 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 my shortcomings of not having enough faith, not reading the Bible enough, not praying enough, maybe having some secret unconfessed sin that I didn't, I didn't even know. I'm sinning and unintentionally. And I'm trying to get all of those things just right. So maybe God will do that thing for me. Folks, that is living under so much condemnation. Amen. And there's so much condemnation that comes along with that because you never feel like you're good enough. And then the enemy wants to make sure that people get highlighted to you that seem like everything in their life is just going well. And you look and you go, man, those are spiritual superstars. And you just like, I'm struggling, man. God must just really be disappointed in me. And you just feel all this condemnation. you try to get the formula right. You try to get all the steps right. And you still come up short. And then I read in the Bible one day. Huh, that's a funny place to find things. I read in the Bible, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. And I was living under a lot of condemnation. And I'm like, well, if this following Jesus thing... Is supposed to be no condemnation, and I'm living in a lot of condemnation, then maybe I'm looking at this thing incorrectly. And I began to evaluate all of the burdens that I had been carrying around, trying to earn something from God, trying to be good enough for God to bless me or to do something for me. And I had to let all of those things go. And it wasn't an instant thing, man. It took years, And, and sometimes I still slip back into that because we can all drift into that because it, it sounds easier to us I mean I just just tell me the formula tell me what to do and I'll go do it a plus b equals c and that's what we're looking for God to do in our lives just so we can get what it is that we want and we never rest and we never have peace and I hear everybody talking about peace and joy but yet at the same time I wasn't experiencing peace and joy but I grew up following Jesus And it doesn't make sense because when people say, oh, brother, when I started following the Lord, I had so much peace and so much joy. And I'm like, I have so much shame and so much condemnation, man. (laughs) That's how I felt. And it wasn't from Jesus. Jesus wasn't loading me up with the shame and condemnation. It came from this belief that in order to find favor with God, I had to measure up. And this is exactly what Paul was trying to warn the people of. Because this is what was happening. Now, they're measuring themselves against one another. Now, they're trying to earn something from God. Now, they're taking grace, which was a free gift, and they're turning it into a work so they can boast about it. Because it was just too simple. You see, if I give someone a gift, and I say, happy birthday, or hey, I was just thinking about you, and I wanted to bless you with this. Or, hey, I wanted to give you this nice Christmas present, or what have you. And they would say, thank you, that's awesome. They didn't do anything to deserve that gift. They didn't do anything to earn that gift. The only reason you went out of your way, did something thoughtful for them, spent the time wrapping it up, putting a card with it, whatever, giving it to them, was because you love them. Now, if you gave them that gift and you said, okay, here's the deal that cost me a lot of money and if you want me to keep giving you gifts you're going to have to start doing some stuff my car needs detailed every Thursday <laughs> and don't miss a spot oh and by the way my lawn needs cut and when it's winter time I need you to take care of my snow and I need you to do that and they're like whoa whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. why am I having to do it well I gave you that gift didn't I well it doesn't sound like a gift at this point does it well, yeah. If you want me to still keep giving you gifts, though, hmm? hmm? That, that there's all this condemnation. There's all these extra things attached, and man, I don't even, I don't even want the gift. I'm like, here, to take it back. This is like the worst <laughs> gift ever. There, and and there's like, there's no end to it, and there's all this condemnation attached to it. You see, that's not how this gift of salvation is. It's free, and my response to that gift is the good works that I do because he's changed me and now I'm new and this newness of life it's changing the way I'm thinking it's changing my desires it's reorienting the path that I was on I was on this wide path that everybody else was on we were all going the same way and it was headed towards destruction then all of a sudden he picked me up out of this pit he picked me up out of this despair and he placed me on this straight and narrow road and now he's ordering my footsteps and it is a joy to get to follow him And now the peace that I have, it's a peace that knows that I am right with God, not because of what I've done, but rather in spite of what I've done. That's a different kind of peace that comes from within. So people pray all the time, oh, I need peace from God. I need God to give me peace. You first need peace with God in order for you to have peace from God. And your peace with God, it passes your understanding, Scripture says. It guards your heart. It guards your mind through Christ Jesus. Now, this salvation becomes your anchor in the middle of condemnation, in the middle of all of the lies of the enemy, in the middle of all the storms, in the middle of all the pressures. And you know that even when you walk through low times, low valleys, you know that he's going to walk with you. And it may not feel very good during the time, but you can be assured that he hasn't left you or forsaken you. And you cling close to the cross, man. You remember the free gift. The longer we serve Jesus and the longer we walk with him, the sweeter this message of the gospel should become to us, amen? Any attempt... To add requirements to our right standing with God outside of faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross is just pure heresy. It's heresy. This is what the Judaizers were doing in Galatian churches. They were saying that Jesus was somehow insufficient, that it's Jesus plus all these other things. You see, when we place our faith in Christ, he then calls us to obedience. And when he calls us to obedience, it's not, okay, you jerk, get in line and start doing all this stuff or else. No, it's actually these changed desires in me through the faith that he gave me, through the faith that I'm now growing in and maturing in, and because of that faith, it's reorienting my desires, and now I'm desiring to walk this faith out and I need other people to help me to understand how to walk this out because my desires man they're different now and now that my trajectory is different and everything's changed in my life other people come along and they help me his word guides me his spirit now leads me and it's much different now because now I'm not trying to learn how to be this perfect person but I'm instead walking with other people who understand they're on a journey too amen And I'm able to grow as a disciple of Jesus. You see, our desires are now reoriented to submit willingly to obey, to walk out this newfound faith. But the things we do after coming to faith in Christ don't make us saved. They're a confirmation that we are saved. The works are the response, not the method. That's how our works glorify God. Because, listen, they are worshipful they are obedient, they are an obedient response to what he's done in us by faith. It's always been by faith. It will always be by faith. You can even look at Hebrews chapter 11, where it says in verse 6 that without faith it is impossible to please him, for he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's impossible. You want to please God? Well, you have to make sure you check off all these boxes and you have to, you know, do all these Jewish traditions and all these things. No, 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 no. No, I'm now pleasing him by faith. And every step I take of obedience is a step of faith. Because I would not have had the faith required to take the step if I hadn't trusted in Christ. Amen? Amen. And so I'm walking my salvation out with fear and trembling. I'm taking one step into this next piece and one step into this next piece. And I'm walking and working this thing out as he's changing me, as my mind is being renewed, as he's helping me to stay on the straight and narrow path. And it doesn't become out of obligation or even out of some sort of condemnation or some sort of drifting my heart over into self-righteousness. No, I'm doing it willingly. And obediently, because now he's not only my Savior, but he's my Lord. And there's a difference, right? To where I'm seeing, yes, you saved me, but I'm also submitting to you. Not because I have to, but because my heart has changed. And I'm choosing to, because I want you to be the leader, the Lord of my life. So that way it doesn't become, well, now you're a Christian, let me tell you all the new rules you got to follow, all the TV shows you can't watch, all the stuff you can't do, and can't let me tell you, all right, here's how this works now. That's not, I mean, that's not how this thing works. No, now I'm walking this thing out, and he begins working on my heart. Because I'll tell you this, church, there's things that when I first became really aware of following the Lord, and there's things that... I did and didn't do because I thought that's what Christians did and didn't do. And I tried to stay close or far away to those things accordingly. And as I began to understand the freedom that I have in Christ and the richness of that freedom, there are things that I used to walk in condemnation over that I began to find so much freedom in. And then there's other things that I began to walk really free in that I actually began to feel this scratching in my heart and this the Holy Spirit leading me away from some of those things. And he began to change my heart. And there are things as I've grown in the Lord that he's working in me for his glory. And it's changing me. Here's the big idea for today. Faith in Christ alone reorients my desires, influences my decisions, and impacts my destiny. I want you to think about this because this is the process. Faith in Christ alone, what it does is it reorients my desires. It starts with my desires. Because people say, follow your heart, like that's a good thing. And sometimes your desires, what if your desires are wrong or corrupt or, I don't know, maybe selfish? (laughs) I mean, none of us, other people that we're trying to help, right? No, we all understand that everything I desire is not always good. I think it's good, but so do little children. They think that it's good to eat all the candy that they want. That is my desire. You, who are you to tell me my desires are bad? I desire all of this candy. It is good for me. And someone wiser, someone who cares about them, someone who loves them says, no, that's not good for you. Well, you're not nice. You must not love me. Who are you to say what's good for me and what's not good for me? How dare you try to limit this for me? But the more that I learn to trust in that wisdom and the more I learn to trust in that and submit to that the more I realize oh you know what they do actually now and the more that I begin to trust in the word of God to shape my life even when my desires are rebellious towards it I begin to go you know what God does actually know better it doesn't seem like it may be at first when it conflicts with my desires because I naturally think my desires are good so something has to change right my desires have to change And so my desires change at the heart level when I begin to have faith in Christ. That faith in Christ first transforms my desires. So now there's things that I previously didn't want to do that now I want to do. And there's things that I previously wanted to do that now I I, I don't want to do. There's now this, this changing that's happening in me. And the more I submit to that, and I I learn and I trust, and I begin to walk this thing out, all of a sudden I begin to understand how that glorifies God, because my desires are different, and those desires influence my decisions. So the decisions that I make are directly influenced by the desires that I have. Because sometimes we just try to suppress desire, and we just try to say, I'm going to try to master this desire, I'm not going back for an eighth trip at the buffet, But then you go, by that time, what's one more? Right? And you just think it's not that big of a deal. And you try to, like, limit yourself. And you try your best to try to control all of those desires. But, man, you just make really bad decisions because you're trying to just control and suppress your desires in your own strength. But when you hand those desires over to Jesus and you say, Jesus, change my desires, change my heart. I want to desire you, I want to want what you want for the same reason you want it. And if I want those things that God wants for the same reason God wants it, now my decisions are being influenced and now I find the decisions that were once hard to make now are a little bit more natural for me to make because something's changed at the heart level. Something's changed at the desire level. Because my desires have changed, my decisions have now changed. And because my decisions have changed, the pathway that I'm walking on is much different. Because our decisions, they determine that destiny, that path that I'm walking on, the things that I'm going to avoid, the the pitfalls, the, the, the traps, all the things that were laid out in front of me because my desires have been submitted to him. And it's through faith in Jesus alone that begins that process of, Reorienting and changing my desires. You see, faith in Christ alone sets us free. And Jesus said, He who the Son sets free is free indeed. And so that freedom comes when my desires are aligned with His. Because now I'm free. Because I'm not walking in condemnation anymore. I'm not walking chained to my past. I'm not walking chained to desires that are out of line with what God desires for me to want because I've submitted those things to him and I am trusting in him and through faith in Christ and the finished work on the cross, he's done something in my heart that's different. And that difference now begins to influence the way I think, the way I decide to live my life, the choices that I make. And when these temptations come by, I'm able to avoid them because Christ has given me strength, not just to resist, but to recognize the tricks of the enemy to recognize the traps of the enemy and now I become more aware I become more mature in my faith let's go over real quick to Romans chapter 10 wow Pastor Derek for a new series in Galatians you sure are going to other places in the Bible I know right? never know what I'll do wow you have to just show up next week to see where else we go. <laughs> Romans, <laughs> cliffhanger. <laughs> Romans chapter 10. Again, the Apostle Paul, verse 11, he writes this to the church in Rome. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Oh, somebody needs to hear that today. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Somebody needs to highlight that and underline that. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Come on, somebody. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed. And how are they going to believe in him whom they haven't heard? And how are they going to hear without someone preaching? And, and how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. You see, when we trust in Jesus by faith, what is true of him becomes true of us. I want you to think about this today when you hear this word. You see, Jesus is that firstborn among many brethren. We become sons and daughters of God. You see, Jesus, who is sinless, cleanses us of our sins so we can be in right standing with God. We become filled, as Scripture says, with the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. It dwells in you. It will make alive your mortal body, which means we will rise physically from the dead when Jesus returns. We are free from the chains of sin Look at this, Romans 8 and 29. Look at this, look at this, look at this. Romans 8 and 29 says, For those who He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Jesus has done something so incredible in you and I. And He has positionally justified us through faith, to where we can stand unashamed and boldly walk into the presence of God because the veil, the barrier has been torn in two. And we have access to God now. Do you get this? Do you understand this? Who can approach him? Who can talk to him? Only the most pure, the most holy. And don't you know that you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You've been called and set apart. This is who you are in Christ. The old has gone away. The new has come. Don't you know that the, the, the great mystery has been revealed? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not you in you. It's not something great you've done. It's not something great you've accomplished. It's Jesus in you. It's what Jesus accomplished. It's what Jesus did. I get to be a joint heir in this thing just simply by faith. It's way too simple, but that's how the gospel works. Anything Ooh. extra is not of God. And so stop chasing the extra. Let God work in you and through you to help you walk this thing out, man. Start at the basic and never forget the basics. Lean into the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. It has never been, nor will it ever be, something that you can polish a medal that you got, that you can show God, look at what all I've done. And God says, "Whoa, boy, I like you. No, he loved you so much when you were still his enemy, so much that he sent Christ to die. At the right time, at the appointed time, scripture says, Christ died for the sins of the world both past, present and future and he set us free and how do I access that gift? I have to access that gift like I access any gift I receive it I have to receive it and that's hard for us to do because I want to have something to do with it to feel like I somehow earned this you know like look at what all I did no, no, no it's not what you did that got you there it's what he did That's the difference between Christianity and literally every other religion. Every other religion in the world wants to weigh the scales of justice in your favor by what you've done and not done. It's this karma-based system of you trying to somehow do something. And Paul said, how dare you let this creep back in. I'm astonished that you guys who loved the gospel and loved what Jesus did and received what Jesus did were so easily tricked. And you got suckered into this deal, this Ponzi scheme deal where they came over here and they got you to buy into somehow if you become a Jew and do all these other things plus you trust in Jesus, then you're good in the eyes of God. No. You see, it was never about what you could do on your own. You could try to do it on your own. If you want to try works-based righteousness and following the law in order to find favor and grace with God, man... Uh, you're on a, a slippery slope Because if you broke one part of the law You've broken all of it So what are you going to do big boy <laughs> I can't trust in my ability To keep this thing Because I'm frail And that's exactly the point Jesus God wrapped in human flesh The same type of temptations we face He faced Scripture says everything That you and I were tempted with He was tempted with in some shape or form But yet he was without sin he overcame sin in the flesh and then he overcame sin and all of the ramifications of sin because sin ultimately leads to death that's why the wages of sin is death and Jesus defeated the wages of sin by taking that to the grave but it didn't keep him there because he rose victoriously to overcome that sin and now you and I get to experience that overcoming both here in the spirit now and also when we rise with him on that day and are made like him when we see him face to face it's victory all the way around for the follower of Jesus and so we cannot slip back into this concept of us somehow doing it on our own this humbles us is what it does church Because it reminds us of our need for Him. It keeps us dependent upon Jesus. It keeps our faith in Him. So I need to grow and strengthen that faith. So how does that grow? Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So my hope is that today you've heard the Word of God and it's stirred your faith. That it's deeper solidified that anchor. And maybe today, if you're a person who you have not placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I want you to do that today because I believe today could be the day of your salvation where you put your faith in Jesus. I would love for you to receive that gift. We would love to pray with you. We would love to help disciple you on that journey. I'm gonna go ahead and ask our prayer team if you guys will go ahead and come down to the front. We have a prayer team every single week who who, who is available at the end of services and that they are available to pray with you. If, If you are feeling this drawing towards jesus and you just want somebody to pray for you man you don't have to tell them your whole life story they care about you they want to help you come down and, and and let them pray with you if you want to talk to somebody reach out you know, we have all of our contact info available on our website it's all in our seasonal guide all that stuff reach out we want to connect with you and help you on this journey get plugged into to a group of other christians and And and, and learn how to walk this journey out. But it starts with your faith being stirred, being activated, and you placing your faith in Christ. And maybe for you today, that's what God is drawing you towards. Because no man comes to the Father unless the Spirit first draws him. So maybe the Holy Spirit is drawing you today. Maybe you're the type of person who you have not been really walking with God you're just like, yeah, I'm a pretty good person, and maybe the day your world has been kind of turned upside down, because you've been trusting in, I'm a good person, because of what I do or don't do. And today Jesus is saying, no, forget that, trust in me, because Jesus is enough. Ma'am, sir, today could be the day of your reconciliation, of you remembering your right standing with God. Maybe you've drifted, maybe you've drifted into that temptation of trusting And maybe today is the day you repent of that, man. You repent of that and you you confess, Lord, I have trusted in my own stuff, man. Lord, I need you to forgive me and I, I need to focus on what really matters. Help me to stay anchored in the gospel. Remind yourself of the gospel. Martin Luther said it this way. He said, I remind myself of the gospel every day because I can forget the gospel every day. We can all forget just like the Galatians, how, how easily were you guys tricked, man? And you walked away from this. Like, even if an angel comes to you, like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, don't, don't listen to the angel. Even if we come back and say there's something else, don't listen to us. It's this pure. It's this simple. It's by faith you're saved. Through this grace that he gave us. And it's not anything you could do on your own. It's a gift, lest any man should boast. Amen? Amen. So, Lord, help us to stay close to the cross of Jesus. Help us to stay anchored and grounded in the gospel, the good news. And if there are people here today that need to come to faith in Jesus, I pray, Lord, that they would have the courage to take a step. That they would have courage to make a move. That they would have the obedience, the the conviction, whatever's necessary, whatever needs to happen for them in this moment, if they're sitting at home online watching whatever may be going on, Lord, move Holy Spirit in a way that would bring you glory and honor, would point hearts to Jesus. And may eternity be forever impacted because of decisions made in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen.